Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. I wanted to take this time to thank those who financially support this show and make it possible. If you would like to financially support this show, feel free to jump over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The Grey Rooms. This episode is brought to you by Arthur Unk, Brooks Bigley, Kaylee Tolls, Elizabeth Dowell, Kathleen Clyde, Kelly Bear, Mary Wynn, Amy Nikolai, Adam, Patrick Stewart, Austin Furman, Alexei Gladilovich, Charlotte Norup, Jim Powell, Lucas Healy Hibbard, Scott Savino, Sergio Saucedo, Victoria Wan, Debbie Furr, Hale Scherf, Justin Thulu, Maria Herrera, John Dillavu, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Scotty, John, Stephen, J.M. Scherf, and John Grills. We are truly grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you for your support. We hope to continue to produce to your expectations. And now, on with the episode. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter. Because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season 1, Episode 6 Yeah, I'm excited. 
why don't you go ahead and have a seat? I'll be with you in a moment. Of course. Thank you for seeing me. Having a look here, first thing I notice is that it says you've been working for the DOT for the last 15 years, Raymond. What happened? I was laid off. Are you currently a member of a religious organization? You know very well you weren't laid off. If you sign this paperwork, you can have your job. I am not joining your stupid cult, lady. I'll... I'll find somewhere else. Where? You do realize that the Church of the One influences most employment centers here in the city. We stand for unity, Raymond. Don't you? That's none of your damn... I don't know why so damn hard to get a job. Hi, honey. How did the interview go? Hey, babe. Uh, good. <sighs> really good. Yeah. I have a good feeling about this one. Making a deal with Bob would have gone in my favor. And it's true. I hadn't died. But that face in the mirror, the never ending corridors, and the sure knowledge that I would be there forever. Bob, what the hell? What was that? What's that old saying? There are some things worse than death. You bastard. Just please, just please don't make me do that again. Not easy being a monster, is it? There's a monster behind every door. What is this? Where do I go when- Terrible places, Raymond. I warned you to be careful with what you wished for. It's a shame. If it weren't for that selfish wish of yours, it might have ended differently. What? You're saying it's my fault? I die over and over again. Don't you blame me. These are your rooms. Yours, you son of a bitch. Oh, they're not my rooms. We'll have to agree to disagree, Raymond. Are you feeling any better? I couldn't believe Bob was blaming me 
what was happening in the rooms. Mind games. Every goddamn time. Anger. Rage. Hate. These feelings, they were familiar to me. And I know they didn't originate purely from Bob and the rooms. No. I, I had a vision before I came back. The job. The interviewer. The feeling of a hopelessness. This had all happened before. I think I was starting to remember my past. But maybe this was just another Bob's traps. I don't suppose you have a glass of water? No, but I do have two unique keys to choose from. Are you ready to choose your door, Raymond? To be honest, Bob, not really. I'm still shaken up from the last one. Understandable. I'll give you a minute. Perhaps you'd like to hear a haiku. A, a what? It's a traditional Japanese poem. Three lines, five syllables, then... I know what a haiku is, Bob. It just seems really inappropriate is all. Would you rather pick your door and die? Honestly, I don't... No. No, it's just fine. Tell me your stupid haiku. the worst haiku in the world. It's the same thing you make me do all the time. Pick a key, choose a door. Why would you think that would be something worth sharing? You didn't like it. No, Bob. It was terrible. You could have been nicer about it. You're going to pretend you have feelings now? You're a sociopathic murderer. That would be you, and that part at the end. Disgusting. That wasn't me. Choose a door. I couldn't believe this guy. He sends me off to die every goddamn day, and he acts hurt when I don't like his idiotic haiku. I walked over to the table and glanced at the keys. I grabbed both of them and walked over to the doors. One of the doors had the number 692 and a peephole on it. It reminded me of the time I was stuck in a hotel room. The other door looked old and massive. It had been painted red, but the color had faded and was chipping off. There was wrought iron metalwork 
that extended from the hinges. I heard the singing again as I stepped up to it. I decided to go with the door with a peephole and unlocked it with the key. I wondered how I knew which key would unlock the door, but it just came as natural now as my name. It was as if each key were an extension of me. When I chose the door, I chose its key. Once more into the breach, my friends. Station Bravo 299, or as my squad called it, Ice Station Bravo. as far from civilization as anyone could get. I should have kept my security checks all below ground. The 200 meter walk from building five to six was a son of a bitch. The cold wind reassured me that my missing a piece of cold weather gear made frostbite inevitable in under a minute. My head remained low as I pushed on the outside door to the building. A dense layer of ice slowly gave way on the third push. Leading to the slightly warmer entryway. I was sure that Lucky would give me grief about walking outside.
I placed the cold weather gear in a locker and entered the armory to return my rifle. Darkstar provided appropriate equipment that could withstand this Dante version of hell. My mini rifle that I was carrying passed all the necessary functions checks. A weapon is a reflection of the soldier who carries it. We were the best of the best. by the new lieutenant's office. His tag read Gasper. But everyone else has taken to calling him Lieutenant Gloom. He looked the part as he sat in the darkened room with multiple computer monitors illuminating his face. I paused in the doorway to deliver my report. Sir, buildings one through five and the hangar are secure. The eggheads are all at work and Jonesy, Rock, and Tiny have the night shift. Who is on the radar? Gibbs, sir. No fancy name for him. Well, sir, he keeps drawing radar duty, so we're thinking of calling him Blip. By the look on Gasper's face, I had apparently missed the lieutenant's attempt at sarcasm. Sergeant, how well do you know your squad? I've worked with the majority of them off and on for about five years, except for the new guys we got in two weeks ago. Why? Word has come down from higher up that one of them may be working for one of our rivals. You mean a mole? No, a saboteur. Tomorrow is a critical phase of Project Frankenstein, and the powers that be want us to be on high alert. No offense, sir, but I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe anyone here is dirty. I would worry more about the group on the other side of the station. I want all the security shifts doubled tomorrow. As of 0700, we are at Condition Red. Condition Red meant something terrible was going to happen. We have it confirmed that we are expecting trouble then? Gasper didn't even look up from the monitors. Thank you, Sergeant Redding. Dismissed. I thought it went better than expected. He'd only been here for two days, and already it was like being a private again. I gave my best salute and continued to my quarters. If there was a saboteur at the station, nothing good would come of it. Building 6 was dedicated solely to the security staff. It contained enough space in the barracks for up to 50 soldiers, a large meeting hall, various offices, lounge area, and an oversized training room. I kept my quarters with just the essentials. A closet for uniforms, a single desk and a laptop, a small dresser, and a bed. Some people like hanging up pictures and posters and 
other reminders of life back stateside. I just wanted to get my tour over with and get back to my wife and daughter. A quick check of my email told me that I had no new messages. I made a mental note to send something out before I turned in for the evening. Sleep would be a welcome treat, but I felt the urge to check on the rest of the squad before settling in for the night. It didn't take long to change into what Darkstar provided as leisure clothes, and I found myself in the lounge area. Soldiers were all huddled around the television, locked in competition on some video game I didn't recognize. The amount of cursing from one side of the couch clued me into who was winning. I never understood why those who had been to war allowed themselves to be entertained by it. The billiards table was occupied, as usual, by Yella and Sticks. They both smiled and waved as I walked by and headed towards the observation area in the back. A large screen projected a peaceful beach scene complete with low, crashing waves. Smith and Lucky sat in a pair of chairs, each of them holding a mug of something warm as they spoke in hushed tones. Hey there, Mama Bear. Lucky, what happened to the woods? I took a seat in the chair beside them. Well, Red, I miss the beach. Besides, we can't use the woodland setting anymore. I folded my arms across my chest and frowned. What happened to the woods? Gibbs programmed a Bigfoot to run up to the screen and pound on the glass. I couldn't hold back my laugh. (laughs) Don't laugh. I nearly shot the damn thing. It scared the hell out of both of us. I nodded towards Smith. I need to talk to you for a second. We both made our way over to an unpopulated section of the lounge used for a library. A half-finished game of chess was still out on the table. I just got through a meeting with Lieutenant Gasper. How's Gloom doing this evening? (laughs) He thinks that someone on the security staff is dirty. What? I don't think so. That's what I said. We get paid very well for what we do, and the new guys are young, but I don't peg them as being smart enough to play double agent. That's what I told Gasper. Anyone that's going to cause problems is going to be on the egghead side, not security. My feelings exactly. Regardless, we go into condition red in the morning. What's going on tomorrow? The final phase of the project begins tomorrow. This whole project Frankenstein... (sighs) freaks me out. What's dead should stay dead. I don't get paid to enforce ethics, and if it works, the possibilities could be endless. Yeah. Or it could mean the end of the world.
Chapter 2, The Next Night The silence was absolute. The situation at Research Station had gone from condition red to black in less than 24 hours. Project Frankenstein had been sabotaged, and the Research Station's advanced security system protocols were active. It was a total lockdown, and I still don't know what the hell happened. Attention all squads, this is Alpha 7. I need a sit rep. Over. The aggressive radio silence heightened my nerves. First, a distress alarm came from inside one of the labs in Building 1. Then, all the containment alarms started going off. Lieutenant Gasper moved us into condition black, and I dispatched my squads. The masks that we wore were way better than any that I had when I was in the military. A full face shield, integrated with the targeting system on our rifles, to help with aiming. I was thankful that just a few days ago, all of us synced the HUDs in the masks with our weapons. The main drawback was the communications inside the mask. It wasn't powerful enough to go through the concrete layers of the station. I switched back over to the Alpha Squad Channel. Okay team, I have negative contact with Bravo and Charlie squads. We need to find out what the hell happened down here. (laughs) Don't worry, whatever they have down here is way worse. Probably kill you instantly anyway. going out dropped all of us into a defensive stance. A soft red glow from the emergency lights replaced the pure darkness. I froze for a few seconds until my heart rate dropped below a hundred. I could hear my heartbeat in my ears. Smith, take Howard, Sticks, and Hargrove down the left hall to the large open lab. Yellow, Hardy, and Lucky on me. We're going to check to see if the sub-basement rumor is true. Find any survivors, get them back to the stairwell, and have them go to the hangar. My fear began to grow. Being this far underground was terrible enough, but where the hell was everyone? The red emergency lighting cast eerie shadows in the hall. Red, this is Smith. This is Red, go ahead. We found some of the scientists. They look like they're all dead. No sooner than she said it, I saw something similar. I think I see some dark goo too. Keep checking for survivors. Right out. The unknown substance led us down the hall to one of the more obscure labs. The power failure had disengaged all the locks, so the door marked authorized personnel only opened without resistance.
room felt cold and moist on the exposed skin around my neck. There were no emergency lights to brighten up this unfamiliar place. I used my offhand to reach for the flashlight on my vest. It looked like the inside of a medical examiner's office, complete with a table for examining a body. There were several dead scientists strewn about. The source of the unknown substance dripped from their mouth and eyes. The back of the room revealed a partially open security door. A soft fog rolled out from the entryway. Hardy, guard this room. The rest of you, follow me. Hardy seemed to give a thankful nod as I led the way through the door. Stairs hidden behind the door led even further down into an open area. The large room looked like it was created by someone who had watched the Aliens and Matrix movies one too many times. The glass tops to all the pods were open, and the mist was pouring out from them. Inside every pod was a body, hooked to wires and tubes. The further my team and I walked, the more pods we saw. On my left and on my right, I couldn't see where it ended. I asked as I shone the light down the length of the room. Judging by the size of this room? Hundreds. Let's get the hell out of here. I said, turning around. The crackling sound of a panicked smith filled my headset and brought our movement to a halt. Spots, just static. Hardy, this is Red. Can you pick up Smith's transmission? Sergeant, you need to get up here. Right away. The faraway sounds of gunfire compelled me to ready my rifle and break into a run. Lucky and Yella followed behind me. It was only out of the corner of my eye that I first saw it. I barely had time to shout a warning. shape jumped from behind one of the pods and tackled Yella to the ground while in mid-stride. Adrenaline was added on top of my increased blood flow. My first few shots sailed wide until I came to a full stop and aimed. Lucky followed suit and kicked the form off the top of Yella. What the hell was that? All my senses went into overdrive. I could still hear gunfire in the distance. The light from my flashlight threw shadows all around and they danced on the ceiling. The bodies were starting to rise out of the stasis pods. Blackened liquid poured from their mouths and eyes. Get up, get up, we need to go now. I yelled behind me as I let my rifle lead the way. Shot after shot hit their target as we fall back to the stairs. They paused at the bottom near the entrance. Go, go! Bring back up with Hardy. I'll cover our way out. 
She had her light out and flashed it up the stairwell. Distorted figures in lab coats were clamoring down the stairs. The low hum of movement was slowly growing as more and more bodies joined the mix. My mask began to fog over from heavy breathing. I knew that I wouldn't last long if I couldn't see. I fought against my better judgment, and I ripped it off my face. The smell in the room was acrid and left a taste in my mouth not unlike moldy bread. I would worry about any after effects later. I walked backwards, stepping over the downed bodies. I switched to my third magazine and timed my shots. I began to wonder just how much ammo I wasted getting to the stairs. Everyone had their masks off by the time we reached the mini-lab. Hardy was missing. Let's go, head back to the stairwell. We've got to get out of here. I shut the security door and wedged a chair in front of it. It wouldn't do anyone any good to tell that there were plenty more on the way. Lucky screamed as we stepped out into the hallway. Hardy lay on the ground with his throat torn out. Two of the creatures were feasting on the warm blood. Inhuman growls accompanied wet chomping sounds. I kicked the monsters off of him and filled their heads with bullets. The red of the emergency lights bathed everything in the color of death. A loud banging from the small lab brought us all back to our twisted reality. I bent down to close Hardy's eyelids when I felt his body move under me. I jumped back and watched in horror as Hardy's dead body began to spasm. A dark liquid oozed from his mouth and his convulsions rolled him over, face down. The sound of muscle tearing from bone gave my system a new shot of fear-induced adrenaline. I slowly pushed the other two towards the stairwell out. I turned and ran as Hardy's body rose up on all fours. His flesh was pulled away from his face and locked in a permanent grin. I reached the junction and saw Smith running down the hallway. Howard was behind her, holding his own bloodied arm and firing haphazardly behind him as he ran. Quick movement down the hall showed the horrors giving chase. I pointed down the hall and shouted, Cover them! Lucky and Yella moved into position and began to shoot down the hall. I kept an eye down the opposite hallway and could see movement coming toward us. Let's go! Get through the stairs! What the hell happened to Sticks and Hargrove? Those things ambushed us. Hargrove got swarmed, and Sticks jumped in to save him. They, they didn't make it. Where the hell were you? I called for backup. We found a sub-basement, and that had a body farm in it. We lost our signal down there. This was not an ideal situation. We needed to get back to at least the hangar and regroup. Yella and Lucky continued to fire down the hallway. I looked over at Howard. You gonna make it? The bastards. They get my arm. Can you fire your weapon? Not the rifle, but I, I got a pistol. I took his rifle and extra magazines. Red, they're getting closer. I had enough of this situation. 
Gasper was right about someone wanting to sabotage everything. Everyone up the stairs. If we get off at building three, we should be able to cut across to the hangar. Yella, Lucky, cover the rear. I led the squad into the stairwell and began to climb up. The training and extra adrenaline helped the floors pass. We got about halfway up when I heard Smith holler up from below. Hey! Howard's down! By the time I made it to Howard, Smith had laid him on the floor. He was a pale color and the bite mark on his arm was oozing blood, mixed with that same darker substance from the creatures. The sound of a door being thrown open from below echoed in the stairwell. We got company! The same acrid stench from the body farm began to fill the enclosed space. Howard briefly opened his eyes and gripped his pistol. A weak arm pointed the barrel at his head. They're inside of me. They're taking over. They want my soul. He didn't have enough strength left to pull the trigger as I watched his eyes glass over. Smith began to tear up. I remembered what happened with Hardy. We need to go. Come on, Mama Bear. You need to move now. Red! There! Yella's words cut off as an unknown hand reached out from under the railing and pulled him off balance. Lucky reached out and tried to save him, but both ended up tumbling down the middle partition between the stairs. They disappeared beneath a swarm of bodies. I grabbed Smith and yanked her to her feet. Fight or flight had kicked in, and we both took the stairs two and three at a time. The regular lights turned back on. Gasper must have found a way to get the power running again. I said as we reached the door for building three. Of course, with the power turned on, all the door locks re-engaged. I hurriedly typed the passcode for the lock. I was met with red lights and the sound of failure. What the hell? Smith took up position and began firing down into the advancing mass. The slew of creatures did not slow their march. I tried the code again. More red lights and that audible fail sound. Anger rose from within as I slowly typed the code one more time. Smith's shots were becoming more frequent. Red lights and the fail sound again. Damn it! The code isn't working. Use the default code. If the power was off, then all common locks reset to default. I typed in the default code. And was greeted by green lights. And the door lock disengaging. The crowd moving up the stairs tempered my joy. The whole place seemed alive like ants in a kicked over anthill. I opened the door and claws and fangs assaulted me. The butt strode and kicked at the foul creature, but it was relentless. I dropped my rifle and shoulder charged forward, slamming it into the wall. The sounds of movement and growls grew when Smith's gunfire stopped. I was flooded with sadness as I knew what had just happened. My survival instinct took over as I brought my spare rifle around and took off towards the hangar at full speed. Behind me, a flood of death poured out. 30 meters separated me from the horde as I entered the hangar. I traversed the open floor and headed towards the radar tower's door. 
I reached it and punched in the code. My body was tired, and I did not see the two creatures that approached from my left. Blackened teeth sank deep into my arm as I brought the rifle around. The rifle went to work as I emptied the magazine. The door shut behind me as I entered the tower and began to climb. About a quarter of the way up, the lights went out again. I heard the click of the lock disengage. It didn't take long for the familiar sound of pursuit to reach my ears. My arm felt like it was on fire. A thousand distant voices called out in the back of my mind. I watched my blood leak out and wondered if it was turning darker. I entered the tower's command center and braced myself against the door. Lieutenant Gasper was standing at the window, looking outside over the complex. What the hell is going on? It appears Protocol Zero has been remotely activated. <coughs> What's Protocol Zero? The entire station is going to be destroyed. All the buildings collapsed. What about us? What about any other survivors? I think you know that we're all expendable. I don't think there are any survivors. The burning pain in my arm turned to icy cold. Lieutenant Gasper walked over to me, and I noticed he had a pistol in his hand. The chill in my arm spread towards my head. The voices in my mind grew louder. Nausea overwhelmed me. I vomited, an all-too-familiar black liquid onto the floor. Voices were louder now. This ours. An orange glow lit up the night as the building shook. I watched while quietly accepting that this was my end. My wife and daughter would have to find their way without me. I looked into the lieutenant's eyes as he trained his pistol on my forehead. My voice didn't sound like my own. Hurry. I can't hold them back any longer. my eyes and was suddenly floating above the station. I saw the flames reach into the night and collapse down into a flaming hole. A proper hell.
Ice Station Bravo, written by Arthur Unk. You can follow Arthur Unk on Twitter at Arthur Unk Tweets. The role of Sergeant Redding was read by David O. Steele. You can follow David on Twitter at David O. Steele. I mean, pretty simple. Smith was voiced by Sarah Thomas. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Ruth Voice. The role of Gasper was by Graham Rowett. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY. No, no, not gonna say it. Not tonight. Lucky was by Victoria Wan. You can follow Victoria on Twitter at Victoria Wan 21. The role of Yella was by Patrick Mealy. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat Mike VA. Hardy. Well, that was a cameo by our author, Arthur Unk. And the voice of Howard was by Will Olson. You can follow Will on Twitter at Willinator. That last main voice in Red's head at the end of the story was voiced by Charlotte Norup. You can follow her on Twitter at Too Shy Norup. We also had a special appearance tonight by Mr. Mike Lee's band, Broken Machines. You can find out more about Broken Machines by visiting Mr. Mike Lee is me on Twitter or on Instagram, Broken Machines Music. The song featured in this episode is All In My Head. And if you stay tuned after these credits, we're going to play it in its entirety. The story of Raymond was written by Brian Black. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Darth Chair. Raymond was voiced by me, Jason Wilson. You can follow me on Twitter at Audio Torment. Bob. Well, Bob is voiced by the illustrious and wonderful Graham Rowett. Lucy is voiced by Christina Wilson. You can follow her on Twitter at Riding That Wave. And joining us for this episode, a very special guest, hailing from the No Sleep Podcast, Erin Lillis. She voiced Jessica. You can follow Erin on Twitter at Ravy13. It is our honor to have Erin Lillis join us in this episode. Thank you, Erin. All of the audio production and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. The additional score was by J.M. Scherf. You can follow J.M. Scherf on Twitter at J.M. Scherf Music. And artwork for this episode was by Cassie Pertit. Thank you again ever so much for tuning in, for your support and your love. We truly appreciate every single one of you. It has been so fun so far. Do us a favor, stick around and give Broken Machines a listen. All in My Head by Mr. Mike Lee and his great group, Broken Machines. Thanks again for everything, and we'll see you in two weeks.